Hello, welcome to church today. We're so glad you've joined us for our um, worship service um, wherever you are, whether you're here in the Gold Coast or somewhere else in Queensland or in Australia or my friends in America. And for all those over in America, happy uh, July 4th because it is your special day. Um, I always love July 4th. It's a great holiday. Uh, we're in the middle of winter here, even though Gold Coast's winters are pretty mild about like Orlando, Florida weather. But, um, you know, July 4th is just a lot of fun. We were there in 2017 as my family. We went to summer camp at Camp Alamisco there in Alabama and just had the time of our lives. Uh, we really love the Ju- July 4th celebrations. But what is July 4th about? Well, it's about Independence Day. It's about America becoming um, a, a nation separate from Britain. It became uh, something that was transformed and being independent into something that it uh, is today. And, um, you know, the, throughout history, things are being transformed, and that's what we're talking about today. We're doing a series on legacy, and the legacy that we're talking about today is the, leaving a legacy of transformation. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about transformation, not only in the church, but in the world. And, you know, this has been happening right through history. From the creation of this world, um, there's been transformation. You know, it was a bit of a bad transformation after God created the world and sin came in. And then Adam and Eve were um, no longer able to be in the beautiful, perfect garden. And they began the process of, of dying. But God had a rescue plan for them. And his rescue plan was that one day he would send someone to come, which was his son, and save them from their sins. And so throughout history, we've had this transformation from nations rising and falling. Uh, Those that uh, study Bible prophecy know in Daniel chapter uh, 2, there's a great prophecy there where um, long before it happened, Daniel in... um, interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and that dream told what would happen from Babylon down to Medo-Persia, down to Greece, down to Rome, and to, down into the feet of the image where we're living today. So, you know, there's lots of transformation. A lot of people try to transform themselves. This is a big thing in, in this day and age. You know, people want to look good. They want to look like all the people they see on social media and look their best so they, you know, get a new wardrobe or they, um, they have a facelift, you know, cosmetic surgery in some way. All these things trying to make yourself better. Very, I guess you could call it superficial things. Um, going on diets and exercise. My wife's on a real exercise gig at the moment. She's doing a great job. I can see her really looking good and feeling better. And so exercise is a great way to transform ourselves. Um, Some people transform themselves by relocating or maybe finding a new group of friends, which sometimes can be a good thing. If if your group of friends are a negative influence on you or maybe um, not lifting you up and not helping you become... Uh, what you want, you might need to find a new group of friends. And, and as Christians, we should choose good friends. We need to love everybody, but you know the people we hang out with a lot, we need to um, make sure they're not pulling us down and, 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 and encouraging us to do things that we know are wrong. So Christianity, though, is really about complete transformation. This isn't something superficial. This is about transformation that really happens from the inside out. And this transformation only happens through knowing God. And I just want to encourage us all to seek God and to know him. 
And this fits in with our model that we're adopting in this church now. And it's to know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to make a difference. And, you know, that knowing God is something that is crucial. Um, Let me ask you this, you know, is it possible that you think you know God, but you don't? You know, is it possible? Because a lot of times people think they know God because they've read the Bible or they understand a lot of stories. But I'm talking about knowing God like you would know a spouse or even closer than that. Knowing God in an intimate, personal way where you completely trust in him every day, that you talk to him every day. And he speaks to you through his word. And, and this is the kind of relationship we want, you know. So knowing God's not head knowledge, it's actually heart. Last year we had a whole theme for the year on this heart-to-heart where we... Sh- should have a heart-to-heart connection with God and a heart-to-heart connection with, with each other. This is a, the kind of relationship God wants for us. So God is in the business of transforming us. And, um, you know, is it also possible for us to be part of a church, yet not be converted? And, and I think that's possible too. You know, what is conversion? That's really another word for what we're talking about today. Conversion, a complete change, uh, repentance. You know, it's about a whole U-turn. When we're converted, we turn from one direction and we start heading another direction. And we're going to be looking at um, one of the greatest conversions in all of uh, Scripture, greatest transformations today that we could ever find. And that comes from... Um, the conversion of a guy named Saul. Saul of Tarsus, he's known. He was born in the city of Tarsus. Now, um, Paul, Saul eventually um, changed his name to Paul, but we're going to start because his name was Saul, and, and we find his conversion, his, his testimony, in three places. So it's, it's the most widely written about testimony in all of Scripture. And we find it first in Acts chapter 9, and then we find it again in Acts chapter 22, and then we find it again in Acts 26. And each, each time it, it maybe adds a few different little things to it. And I would encourage you to read the book of Acts. You know, book of Acts is a great book to read right through at the moment because it's all about the early church. You know, after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have Acts. And, and Acts is about the birth of the church. This is about um, how the church started. This is when the Christian church found its roots, and it continues today thousands of years later because um, God was in this. His spirit was leading this movement, and he used the person we're talking about today, uh, Saul, who became Paul, transformed him into one of the greatest um, leaders and um, writers of Scripture that there's ever been. As a matter of fact, um, there's some 13 books in the New Testament. About half of the New Testament is written by this man, Paul. Now, Paul, um, you know, it was a very radical transition. I was trying to think of what other person. And there's not many people that have such a radical trans, um, trans. Um, formation as as did Saul to Paul. You know, I, I, I did think of John Newton, and I don't know if you guys have ever written uh, the story of John Newton, um, or there's also a, a movie out about him. It's quite uh, powerful and moving, and the great transformation. You know, he goes from being this really wild um, slave trader, um, sailor, um, he was an atheist, an infidel, and, um, and he was on a trip, and, and his ship was about to sink in a storm, and he had this great 
transformation. He converted and accepted God. He then became one of the great founders of, of our builders of Christianity. And of course, he penned the words to one of the most famous songs in Christian circles for many, many years, and that is Amazing Grace. What a wonderful song it is. So Saul that we're looking at today had a complete transformation. Now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he was born in Tarsus. His mother and father were Jews, but he had an interesting situation because his father was not only a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And this, this was kind of a, gave him special opportunities. And when he was a teenager, they moved to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he had some of the best education that you could get. And he was educated by the Pharisees. And um, I think his father was a Pharisee. And um, he was educated in many languages. He was what you would call a linguist. He could speak Latin. He could speak Greek. He could speak um, Aramaic and Hebrew. And so... Paul was, was very educated and a great communicator. And uh, we find in 1 Corinthians 14, he says this, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So, you know, he obviously spoke more languages than most people. Some of my uh, brothers and sisters that are Pentecostals sometimes say that he, he, it was babbling, but I believe it was actually language he was speaking. Um, but he went on and, and, and wrote some, uh, uh, I guess, the most inspirational books, other than the Gospels, which is hard to get past the letters that are read in your Bible, if you have a red-letter Bible, those are the words of Jesus. But next to the words of Jesus, I guess Paul, in my life, has been some of the most inspirational writing, because he really helps us to deal with the issues we face as Christians, because he's lived the life. Now, when he was Saul, he, he, uh, he was out actually hunting down Christians. Now, there's no evidence that he ever knew Jesus or saw Jesus. I think he would have shared that if he had. But soon after Jesus left this earth, he came on the scene, and he didn't like Christianity because he grew up with the Pharisees and all, and Jesus, um, this whole Christianity thing, what Jesus came, he didn't really understand it. And he didn't like the message. And of course, it was growing like wildfire, thousands of people being converted to Christianity. And Paul was um, one of the ones leading out and trying to stop it. And um, one of the uh, most um, historical and prophetic events that happened was when uh, Stephen, one of the early Christian leaders, was preaching, and uh, I think it's found in chapter 7 of Acts. He preaches, and, and Saul heard this. And, and, and Saul didn't like it because this was converting people. And it, it kind of made sense. And I wonder if, you know, as things started turning over in his mind then, that, you know, maybe he didn't have it right. You know, have you ever really believed in something and then found out later it was wrong? And I think that's probably what, what Saul did. You know, he had to be, um, have good intentions. And, but, of course, intentions aren't always enough. We need to always be seeking out truth. And so eventually Paul, I mean Saul, um, went on to try to stop um, this movement. And after he heard Stephen, they chased him down. And Stephen, in 34 AD, was stoned to death. Now, um, the Bible doesn't say that uh, Saul threw any of the stones. But they said the men who did it came and laid their coats at the feet of Saul. So Saul was kind of in charge, and he allowed this to happen. And 
um, Stephen went down with the greatest, you know, was killed, saying kind things about those who even they were killing him, almost like Jesus. And I think, again, that impacted Saul, you know, to see someone that was giving their life for a cause and doing it willingly because they believed in it that much. You know, that had to have an impact on Saul's heart. And uh, Saul um, was then uh, given by his um, group uh, the, 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 to continue chasing down these Christians. So he began uh, to travel to a place called Damascus. And on this road to Damascus is where this amazing transformation happened to Saul. And uh, I want to just read through a little bit of that because um, this is a major turning point um, in his life and really um, the world because he's made such an impact. And we find this in Acts chapter 9. And I'm just going to read through this story beginning with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressing to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He went to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Um, you might notice it said, the way. That was what they referred to. There was no such thing really at this point of Christianity. It was just called the way because, you know, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And so it became first known, Christianity first became known as the way. Reading on in verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. And so his companions led him to the hand, uh, by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke him, to him in a vision, calling Ananias and says, yes, Lord, he replied. And Lord said, go over straight, straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he could see again. So it is interesting when um, the Lord showed himself to Paul there when he saw Jesus in that bright light, it not only blinded him, but it also led him to his knees and led him to pray. You know, uh, it, all of us, I think, even those that don't often believe in God, when they're faced with a real crisis, they turn to praying. But, you know, here the Lord was le leading him and Ananias together. And Ananias, we don't know a lot about him, but uh, we suspect that he was one of the key leaders of Christianity there in Damascus. And so um, that's who the Lord used. And reading in verse 13, But the Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard 
Many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might again regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, some scales fell from, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized after he ate some food and regained his strength. So there, in, in short, is, is that story of his conversion, this great transformation happened here. And how did it happen? Well, he saw a light. You know, I believe that light was the glory of God. And, and um, we believe this happened in the middle of the day. So, you know, the sun was probably high. But yet this light was much brighter than the sun, um, and it actually um, took away his sight, which I believe was a a miracle that God allowed to happen so that um, he could actually have time to think. You know, Saul had something in. I think God knows our heart. You know, man um, looks on the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looks at our heart. And God certainly saw there was something in Saul. He was sincere, and because of that, God wanted to bring him around to see the truth and so that he could be used in a mighty way. Now, I know I've struggled a bit in my life because I've never had a, a, a Saul experience. I've never had a road to Damascus where God struck me in such a mighty way and spoke to me. And, you know, it, it, it's, I grew up in the Christian church, but I still, for many years, was lost. And I believe there's two traps I just want to explain real quickly. And I believe this story makes it clear because whether you can relate to Saul's great transformation or maybe you've grown up a Christian or maybe you're, you're just a pretty good person. You've never done anything all that bad. And you think, well, you know, God shouldn't have to judge me bad. But the Bible makes it clear there's only way that we're all born sinners and there's only way, as the way, as we said, was taught before it was Christianity, it was the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's only through him. And so there's two stories I just want to touch on, which I think show us these traps. This first one is, they're both parables, but I think they show us this, um, of how there's two different traps. One is either to think we're not good enough for God to accept us, the other is to somehow think that we are good enough. And both ways are wrong. Both ways are not really leading to the transformation that God wants us to have in our life. So the first one I find it, we'll find in Luke chapter 18. And here in uh, Luke chapter 18, it's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, then Jesus told the story of some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. You know, I, I know... We all know people that are a bit that way. You know, they, they seem to be think they're better than everyone else. And so Jesus was addressing these people. And he says this, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give one-tenth of my income. 
But the tax collector, he stood off in the distance and dared not even lift his eyes up to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, what a, a terrible state to be in to not recognize your need for God, to somehow think you're good enough. And I think all of us uh, read that story and we can judge that Pharisee quite harshly. And we think, what a wonderful thing for God to accept this tax collector. But, you know, that Pharisee wasn't lost forever. Hopefully God reached that Pharisee. You know, it's only a parable, but, you know, it uh, it very likely could have been a, a, a true situation. And this Pharisee, um, like we, we read and saw, could have a transformation. Uh, something might have brought him around to see that what he believed was wrong and that Jesus really was the Son of God. And I want to read one more story, and this is another parable. This is also in the book of Luke. And this one, many are familiar with because it's, again, a very well-known parable. Here we find in Luke chapter 15, three parables in a row. You have a parable of a lost sheep, the parable of a lost coin, and then you have a parable of a lost son. Now, um, if if we first look at this parable of the lost sheep, and I'm not going to read through it. I'm just going to summarize it for time. But the lost sheep basically was lost. The the, the, um, shepherd counted 99. He had 100. So he goes out to search for the one that was lost. And he wasn't going to give up on it until he found it. And he found it and he, uh, it was a bit injured and stuck, and he freed it and brought it home. And he says he got home that he, had, he threw a celebration. He was excited. There was like a party. Why? Because of the one that was lost was found. And then we get into, into the next story here of the lost coin. And here you have a woman who was probably a pretty poor woman, and she lost a coin, and she swept the house and looked everywhere, and then she eventually found the coin. And again, when she finds the coin, what does she do? Well, she threw a party. She celebrated. And um, again, it says God and his angels celebrate under over one lost person. Um, and I think what we'll find then, this third parable, there are three in a row, really links these first two kind of gives us some insights because it's called the parable of the lost son. But I like to actually call this the parable of the two lost sons. And the first son, you know, is talking to his brother one day and he's there um, and he says, oh man, you know, I'm tired of slaving around this house for dad. Um, You know, I want to see the world. I want to travel. And the older son who was probably wiser because he's no, no, I kind of like my laundry being done and my home cooked meals, you know, it's worth it for. And so, um, no, I'm not interested in going. He says, well, I'm going anyway. And so the, the, the younger son asked his father, says, I'd like to have my inheritance and I'd like to, um, to go. And so his father gave the, his son his wishes and he went and of course he partied up and spent the money and eventually it was gone. He ended up working, feeding pigs. And as he's feeding those pigs, the story tells us he began to think, wow, even my servants in my father's house have it better than I do. I'll go back to my father and I'll ask if I can just you know, be a servant. And so he heads back 
And uh, the, the story tells us the father every day was looking, waiting for his son, longing for his son to come home. And that one day when his son finally, he sees his son coming, the father runs out to meet him. And he greets him and he welcomes him. He puts his robe on him. He puts his ring on his fingers. He, he, he doesn't um, make him be a servant. He re-adopts him or re-brings him back in as a true son. And, um, you know, that's very powerful. And he, he, he's going to throw a big party. And the older son who stayed home the whole time, though, hears about this. And, and the parable says he got, he got quite upset you know, why you throw a party and you're going to kill the fatted calf for my, my younger brother who's gone off and, um, you know, uh, the, the Bible says he spent all the money on prostitutes. And, and I'm, I ask you, well, how did he even know his brother spent money on prostitutes? Unless maybe that's what he would have done. You see what I'm getting at? You know, the, the, the heart of this older son who stayed home, even though he was home, was still a lost son because he did not have a relationship. He didn't really know his father. He just worked for his father and appreciated the perks. And the father wants, just like our heavenly father, he wants to know us. He wants to know us inside out and intimately. And so um, the story kind of concludes with us not really knowing much about um, what happened to this um, older son. But again, like the Pharisee who prayed, he was lost. And so even though this Pharisee was a church-going, you know, a, a God-believing man, he was believing wrongly, and he was not doing the right things. And in this two stories before, I think it kind of leads up to us to understand that these two sons, one was lost when it went out, just like the sheep was lost, and the older son was lost too, and it was like the coin. He was lost right there in the house. And I just would like to encourage us, because I think most all of us can relate to one of those two. You know, either we've lived a pretty good life, you know, maybe not done real bad things, and, and we think that somehow we've earned or we deserve it. Or maybe we've wandered off and, like the younger son, done some really bad things, and we you know, don't think God can accept us. But either way, God is longing and wanting to know you and have a loving, saving relationship with you. And, you know, some, some of the wonderful things that Paul wrote um, after his conversion, after this great transformation, was about really practical stuff, you know, and how even Paul talks about how he struggles. He struggles with doing the right thing. And uh, one of the key texts that I like is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. And he says, I die daily. That's really why transformation happens and continues to happen. Once we've made that conversion, we've turned away and we're headed the direction towards God. We need to keep trusting him daily. And so we need to die to self because that's the battle we have in this world. We are a battle with our flesh, our sinful lives, with our, um, our lives with God and through his spirit. And God says, no, I don't want you to live like the sinful people in this world, those who um, are full of selfish desires and anger and, and all those um, bad things that, that people do. Um, I want you to have the fruit that comes from my spirit fruit of love and joy and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
That's what God wants. And so I want to just challenge you as I close today. Don't think that God doesn't want to transform you. And maybe you've been in a process because transformation doesn't happen always as instantly. And even Paul, even after he had that great conversion, he still had struggles. But God had a job for him to do. And every one of you listening to me right now, God has a job for you. I don't care if you're old or young. God has a plan for your life. You're here for this reason. For, you're here on this earth for a reason. And we live in times when people need to be hearing the hope that God tells us. The hope for the sinners. And so whether it's someone that's done things really bad or maybe someone that's like the Pharisees who are very bit self-righteous but they don't see that the only thing that really saves us is for us to surrender. Surrender to self. Love God and love others. And so I'd love, love to just ask you to close your eyes wherever you're at as I pray a prayer over everyone today that God will work in our lives and continue to transform us and that we can fulfill the call God has for our lives just like Saul who became Paul did. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing transformation, the conversion of Saul to Paul. You know, what a, a mighty transformation from a, a man that was hunting down and killing Christians to then becoming one and becoming not only a Christian, but one of the greatest founders of the Christian church there ever has been, who wrote in your holy book many of the books and the inspiration that helps us to know how to live the Christian life. So we thank you for Saul's conversion, and we thank you for the influence it can have on us. But Lord, we are just as special as Saul, each one of us. We don't have to go out and do the great things he does. You want us to do the things we can do by the people we touch in our own families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, Lord. Those are the people that you ask us to share love and kindness and all those fruit of the Spirit. The people will see that we have something because we're truly uh, converted. We're truly converted because we surrender and we die daily and we give our hearts to Jesus each day. And by doing that, Lord, we know where we're going because we know you're coming back and you're going to put an end to some of the horrible things, the, the sicknesses and, and the uh, viruses and the, the anger and the hate that's going on in this world. Lord, it's going to be no more. But meanwhile, Lord, you want us to be your instruments to share the hope and love with others. And may you open the doors and challenge us and may we take the courage and do it and do it every day. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening today.